Good morning. We continue to be thankful to see so many of you, and we're thankful for the crowds coming back. We're thankful to our elders, even this morning, as they are making announcements that we know are tough of things that they're trying to make decisions for us. We continue to ask you that you'll do your best to, to use your own judgment as you come in and things as we're trying to distance as much as we can. But we're, uh, one problem we'll have is as we try to distance and crowds come back, that'll create a problem. But we're thankful to all of you for, for being here and for doing your best with that. I mentioned that because one person that's already talked to me this morning was Brother Joe uh, when he gave me the announcement about Miss Betty. He mentioned that there'll probably be times where they sit over here in the Fellowship Hall, which we've mentioned before, that you'd be welcome to do to try to still be a part of our service. I feel like I need to let you know that as well. You know, there's been lots of jokes over the years about uh, the Lord's second coming. We've been talking about that in class on Sunday morning. One of the great stories of well, Hannah's grandfather, he was fishing one time out at Fall Creek Falls during Bible camp when they would awake camp each morning with Arise the Master Calls for Thee, and he always tells that one morning they played that, and he was sitting on the water wondering if this was the call, this was the song that was being played over the loudspeaker, and he was there fishing during that time. I feel like I need to share that with you because if you hear a booming amen come from the corner, it's not the voice of God, but it's Joe sitting over here in the wing. Uh, he's been amening a few times already, and so I don't think that it's the voice of God, but just Joe sitting over here. But we're thankful that you're here. We're thankful for the opportunity to, uh, to worship together, to study God's Word for a few moments. Uh, Don always gives me a hard time about the sermon. I give him a hard time about the songs. I think last time you led, you talked about the Don't Listen to the Preacher song, and I'm going to assume that after the midnight is not how long that I have, right, during this time. All right, that's okay. If you have your Bible, you can be opening to the book of Genesis, chapter 19. You know, when we think about pictures from the Bible that give us things that we associate with certain people and certain things, we think about certain people, we think of, uh, of certain pictures, and one of the things that we think of when we think of evil is the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's probably a, not a more terrible picture that we could have in our mind than what's painted for us in Genesis chapter 19 with the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. As we read this chapter, we're left with almost a, a sick feeling. It's interesting because of the sin that surrounds us today that sort of ensnares us, that's all around us, that we think about, but we go back to Genesis chapter 19 and we're left even there with a bit of a sick feeling thinking about the potential that evil has to consume men's heart. When we think about Genesis chapter 19, as we talk about the sermon this morning, we think about passages such as Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. Paul says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians 10, but whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You see, going back to Sodom and Gomorrah and Genesis chapter 19 is not fun. And many of you know that my family gives me a hard time each week, and usually they ask me on Friday or Saturday, what are you, what are you preaching on? And sometimes I'll give them a little piece of it maybe, and sometimes I'll tell them that I'm not going to mention. So Hannah asked, I guess it was on Friday or Saturday, said, said, what are you preaching on? I said, Sodom. She said, oh really? Well, that ought to be fun. That ought to be exciting. It's not. But as Paul would say here, these things were written for our learning. It's not necessarily always encouraging, but we can take patience through the patience and comfort of the scriptures. We can have hope. And certain this lesson, certainly this lesson this morning fits in with that kind of idea. You know, Winston Churchill said in a speech in 1948, quoting another famous philosopher, that if we do not learn from history, we are doomed to commit the same mistakes. When we think about our lives today, there is a fierce battle being waged between right and wrong. But as we've mentioned already, we go back to Genesis chapter 19, and it's not new because it's happened for a long time, but there's always been a battle. In our world today, there's a battle in this nation. 
for right and wrong, what some people would have done and the way that some people would live. There's a battle going on in the family for what is right and wrong. There's a battle in the church for what is right and wrong. There's a battle among individuals about what is right and what is wrong. When we think about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19, this battle during that time went very poorly in Lot's day. You may recall this story. We don't have time to go through all of it. We're going to touch really on part of 19, but we even go back to chapter 18. And you remember that Abraham stands before God and he pleads with God to spare the city if he could just find 10 righteous souls. You may recall in chapter 18 there that there is actually the bit of negotiation, we might say, but, but that they talk about 50 and then 45 and 40 and all, all the way down to 10. There were just 10 righteous people. Would God spare the city? And in verse 32 of chapter 18, God says, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. But apparently there were not even ten righteous in all that area. The wickedness of that place and time is so notorious that it's remembered even to this very day. But even thousands of years later, Jude would write in Jude verse number 7, As Sodom and Gomorrah are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Even thousands of years later, they're remembering Sodom and Gomorrah. And here we stand and sit today as we think about their example, the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, as we move forward from Genesis 19, throughout the New Testament even, Christ himself and even others use Sodom figuratively to represent wickedness in this world. We joke about the, some of the Old Testament names. We think about Ahab and we joke about Jezebel. You know, if anybody would name their child Jezebel because Jezebel is associated with such evil. We think about Sodom. We think about wickedness in this world. There are many valuable lessons to be learned about the consequences of allowing the world to enter our hearts as it did the family of Lot. But not only the premise of our lesson, not only did Lot's family live in Sodom, but apparently, as we look into the text this morning, Sodom was living in Lot's family. And that's a problem. What happens because of that, as we read the text here, is that there were many tragic consequences. Now, I want to be upfront with you here as we begin this morning. Some of the things that we read in the text, we may not know exactly what's going through their mind. The one that we usually think about, and we'll get to it in just a moment, but is Lot's wife. All we know is she turned around. But because of the things that are said, the context that is given, it would seem that there were some problems and some tragic consequences that followed when Sodom lived in Lot's family. And let's just jump right into it here. Genesis chapter 19. When Sodom lived in Lot's family, number one, it appears that respect for parents declined. Genesis chapter 19 and verse number 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, go out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Now, again, you know, we're not in their minds exactly, but it seems maybe there's a bit of disrespect here. There's a little bit of, of unsureness about what Lot is saying. Maybe disrespect, the best way to say it. He's warning them. It doesn't seem that he's joking. Hey, guys, listen to what I've got to tell you. He seems to be very serious in the message that he is sharing. And when he shares it, they seem to not pay any attention. After the angels told Lot that Sodom was about to be destroyed, Lot went to warn his daughter's husbands. And it is immediately apparent that they were not spiritually minded, nor did they hold righteous Lot in too high a regard. 
You know, he is called that when we read later in Scripture. He may have had some troubles. His family had troubles, but he is called righteous. They did not hold righteous lot in too high a regard. They did not take the older and wiser lot seriously. And, of course, we know that in a matter of hours, consequently, they were among those who were consumed in the fire. If they had possessed the proper respect for Lot, maybe they might have been spared. Maybe they might have listened. And as we begin to make application through all of these points, we're going to think about the effect of Sodom living in Lot's family, but the effect of the world living in our family or in our hearts. When Sodom or the world lives in one's heart today, Oftentimes, respect for parents decline. We've talked about this a lot amongst our, some of our young families, some of our parents. The difficulty of being parents, how hard it can be, it's a struggle. And many of you who are older have had children that maybe have turned away for a time. And it's a struggle for us to know exactly what to do. But we are certainly living in a shameful day when it's easy to see so much disrespect often shown towards parents And I would even say not just parents, but oftentimes adults in general. The advice of parents is sometimes perceived as a joke, like it seems to be here by many youth. We were talking about this last night with another couple, Hannah and I were, and we were talking about the fact that for many people, when you're a teenager, you struggle with your parents. You know, there's there's that constant struggle and fighting and not agreeing on things. But we're thankful for the opportunity sometimes when later we come to our senses and we realize that maybe they did know what they were talking about. Maybe they did have better advice and things that they know that we didn't quite yet know at the time. And so, yes, unfortunately, oftentimes youth will treat their parents' advice or what their parents tell them to do as a joke. It's something that's not serious. They don't know what they're talking about. So often by the time one believes his parents' counsel, it is too late and their life has been wrecked by trouble. We certainly see that. You know, God warns about disrespect for parents many, many places in the Bible. We'll look at the New Testament in a minute, but in Deuter- excuse me, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 9. God's view from the beginning, of course, is respect for parents. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 9. For everyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. It's a pretty harsh sentence, we would agree. But this is God's view of respect for parents. Some think it is funny to ignore the the disrespect of youth, but God doesn't. We shouldn't either. We're very familiar, of course, with Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And we think about the promise that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long upon the earth. There's that promise that comes along with it because of God's plan for the home. God's plan for children and for parents. It is very apparent, it seems, that when Sodom is in one's family, children oftentimes hold the parents in contempt and not in respect. We have to be careful as we think about allowing the world to live in our lives that we don't fall into this first trap that it seems Lot and his family fell into. Number two, when Sodom lived in Lot's family, there was a reluctance to flee evil. Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 through 16. When the morning dawned, the angels, notice the the wording depending on the version you're looking at, urged Lot to hurry Verse 16, and while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. 
and they brought him out and set him outside the city. The angels literally had to lead Lot and his family by the hand out of Sodom. Now again, we're not in their heads exactly. We don't know maybe the exact thing they're thinking in that moment, but it would seem that there is a bit of them that is hesitant to flee what they've always known. And look, any of you that have gone through life struggles and and maybe changed in life, you know how hard it can be to leave what you've always known. There's comfort in what we know to be a, a comforting place. So we understand a bit from the human side, but we also know the evil that was there. Don't forget what they are leaving behind, lewd, homosexuality, sadistic behavior, total unrighteousness. This was a place that many would see and know exactly the sinful people that lived there and the sinful ways in which they lived. But despite these horrible evils, it seems that they could not bring themselves to leave. Let's make application for us. Today, Christians are told to flee. To flee the evils of this world. Think of the mindset of the Christians, of Christians in total contrast to what we read about there in Genesis chapter 19. We are told to flee. Number one, fornication. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. We're told to flee fornication or sexual immorality. Flee those things. Number two, flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 14. Flee. Get away, as far away as possible, as fast as you can. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, we're to flee the love of money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Remember what it says there, because we know the first part, and we warn people about money and the love of money, for which some have strayed from the faith. That's the power that it can have over our lives, and we should flee from the love of money. Number four, we should flee from youthful lust. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, flee youthful lust. All of these things, the mindset seems to be opposite from what Lot and them were doing. They're holding on. They don't want to go away. But the Bible says to flee. The angels told them to flee. Paul says to flee all of these evil things. When the world lives in our hearts, though, and we're caught up in these ways in the world, we're hesitant oftentimes to flee and to run away. Maybe the best way we could sum it up is James chapter 4 and verse number 4. James would write, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, that's okay. But you're making yourself an enemy of God, which is certainly not okay. We must keep the world out of us. And too many people today, Christians included, are reluctant to distance themselves from activities and associations that are clearly evil. When one leaves the world and gets on the safe ground of salvation, he should never forget what he is leaving. When we get on the safe ground of salvation, we are leaving behind condemnation. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When we are in Christ, standing on the solid ground of salvation, we don't have to worry about condemnation. We're leaving the road to everlasting punishment. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 46. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Those disobedient will go away into everlasting punishment. When we are in Christ, we don't have to fear everlasting punishment. And of course, we're leaving behind the the misery and consequences of sin. 
Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he also reaps. It's a very simple principle. We practice it in our everyday lives. Many of you practice it in your gardens. We understand that what one sows, that is what he will reap. But yet when it comes to biblical things, we don't feel that way. We're reluctant. We're hesitant. We don't want to alienate anybody. And believe me, we understand that. The Bible says that, that we want to reach all who are lost. But we also have to be careful that we do not associate ourselves with things that are clearly evil. If we are reluctant to leave the things of the world, then there's a good chance that we will soon suffer eternally. Today, Christians are told to flee the evils of the world, the evils of Sodom. Apparently, Lot's family struggled with that. and We need to be on guard constantly as well. Number three, when Sodom lived in Lot's family, fear reigned in place of faith. Genesis chapter 19, we won't take the time to read the entire section. Genesis 19, 17 through 22. The angel specifically told Lot he would be safe in the mountains, but he was incredibly too afraid. It seems that he was so influenced by the sinful society of Sodom that he was conditioned to be afraid. And of course, that is the effect which the world can have on Christians and even backsliding Christians, we might say. The world encourages and breeds fear so often. In contrast, the Bible has a message of, of strength. Notice the advice of Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Be strong in the Lord. We do not need to fear. We don't have to struggle through these things, but it is hard. We understand that, but when the world lives in our hearts, when Sodom lives in our lives, it's much easier to allow fear to reign in the place of faith. Friends, the Christian has no reason to fear the threats of this world. The words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The Christian has no reason to fear the threats of this world. And folks, we know that the world today, the news cycle and many things, they, it's just fear a lot of times. And it doesn't mean that we just go play in the street and we just live like there's no care at all in the world. Even as we've talked this morning about our elders trying to navigate and, and Christians trying to navigate, being careful between what is reckless and, and what is careful, between what we should do to watch out for our health and our body. At the same time, we must balance that with the fact that we, don't, we should not fear. It seems that Lot was afraid, and he allowed that to, to prevent him from doing what he had been told to do, what he knows that he should do. And Certainly, we can find ourselves in the same position today if we are not careful. When Sodom lived in Lot's family, in their lives, when they had the world inside of them, in a sense, fear began to reign. And that is something that we should, as well, watch out for today. Number four, the passage that we're familiar with, the one that we usually talk about, Genesis chapter 19 and verse number 26. Genesis 19, 26. When Sodom lived in Lot's family, a deadly yearning for the earthly was stronger than the will to obey God. This is maybe the most, most powerful lesson that was learned in the most graphic way. We know, verse number 24, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord out of the heavens. 
So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. And verse 26 begins with that tragic word, but. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. The most powerful lesson learned in the most graphic way. God told Lot's family not to look back at the wicked city. We, we make... We love to have situational ethics sometimes. We try to say, well, well, surely if I'm, if I'm driving to the building to be baptized and I have a car accident and I die, surely God wouldn't condemn me there. Or what about a person who's on their deathbed who, who confesses Christ? Surely they would be okay. And we, we come up with all these situations, many different situations for many different things. And oftentimes it boils down to the fact that God has told us exactly what to do. And many times he has the patience with us that we have an opportunity to obey that. God told Lot's family not to look back at the wicked city. But Lot's wife seems to be, at least, seems to be too enamored with it. And that glance, have you heard that from anybody? It was just one time. It was just a little bit. I didn't do very much. I didn't do anything. But that glance back cost her her life. It was fatal to her. How serious is God about sin? This is an awful and sometimes terrible story in many ways. But it is important for us to look at it and learn. Through the eye of lust, again, as it would seem, Lot's wife wanted just one more look. And it was one look too many. How, how often do we become too attached to the things of this world and oftentimes the sinful ways? It's tough. But even Jesus in Luke chapter 17 and verse 32 even Jesus, with grim recall, simply says, remember Lot's wife. Not the shortest verse in the Bible, but pretty close to it. As powerful as Jesus wept is, here's a pretty good lesson in three short words, at least in the English language. Remember Lot's wife. We need to remember Lot's wife when we are tempted to allow worldliness to get a hold of us. Do you recall the words of John in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What's a strong reminder for us for those who would read the words of John and for us even today, we need to remember Lot's wife. We need to remember that it is often deadly. Yes, that is very strong to consider, but it is deadly. Some, in some ways, a physical sense, but in more serious ways, a spiritual sense, deadly. When we yearn for the earthly rather than the will to obey God. We try to blur the lines. We try to make situations. We try to think it's just a little bit. We try to justify what we do. But when we think about Sodom living in Lot's family, in their hearts, in their lives, I don't know what she was thinking. We can only imagine. As I said, you think about pulling out from a city you've always known. You're born and raised and you move away for some reason. You pull out and you glance back and you think about this place in which you lived. It's tough. We feel a pull. But we should have a stronger pull to obey the will of God. And may we learn this lesson, certainly from Lot's wife and from Lot's family. Then fifth and finally this morning, when Sodom lived in Lot's family, immorality appears to have taken root in their actions. 
Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38. You know what's terrible about this story? What's really sad is that, that we read chapter 18 and we get a sense of sorrow. Abraham is upset. He's bothered. He's begging, pleading with God for him to spare the city. We read chapter 19. We might even get upset at the sin that's there. We think about the awful things that were taking place and maybe we get upset. It's a roller coaster of emotions. We think about Lot's family. We try to put ourselves in their position. Verses 24 and 25 come, come along and the city's destroyed. 26, Lot's wife dies, becomes a pillar of salt. But it doesn't end there. In fact, we get another sorrowful picture. Picture Verse 27 through 29. Abraham, early in the morning, goes to the place where he stood before the Lord. And just like a scene from a movie, standing on the mountaintop, it seems he looks out and he sees the destruction. Verse 28 literally says, behold, the smoke of the land. And he witnesses that. And he probably feels that sorrow. But once again, we're not done yet. Verses 38, 30 through 38 remind us of an awful story of Lot's daughters. Because you see, unfortunately, the problems of Sodom were not completely removed, even after its destruction. Abraham is watching the smoldering heat, but Sodom lives on in infamy and in the hearts of Lot's family. Sodom was very much still in the hearts of Lot's daughters. They had regular contact with the citizens of Sodom, and its influence seems to have rubbed off on them. We think about the New Testament passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. We don't want to dwell on it, but Lot's daughters get their father drunk. Two separate occasions lie with him. And it seems that through this regular contact, that yet they still had sinful ways living in their, in their hearts. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? If you want to get close, then you're going to probably be burned, like with a lot of things when it comes to fire and many other examples that we think of. In a similar fashion, a person today cannot drink from the waters of religious error and not be affected. One cannot feed his mind on the garbage of this world without consequences. One cannot go where Satan is and escape the influence of the world. We, we justify it. We try to make ourselves feel better and we act like it's, it's okay. I'm tough. I'm strong. It's not going to bother me. It's just a little bit. It's just once. It's just a glance back. But a person cannot be involved with these things and it not affect them. You know the phrase. We say it. it's probably a southern one, I guess. I don't know. You sit down with the dogs and you rise up with fleas. One may think he can surround himself with evil and not be affected, but one would be wrong. Even the words of Hosea, Hosea chapter 8 and verse number 7, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Nobody wants to suffer. We don't like when we see people suffer. So many times our suffering and their suffering is because of Wrong decisions on our part, sinful decisions on our part. When the world lives in our hearts, we're in danger of these things. And here's the final point. Here's the application. Because when we think about our lives and we try to emphasize what we should be doing, it was not a sin for Lot and his family to live in Sodom. Here it again. It is not a sin 
for us to live in this world. We know that we have to live in the world. And we're thankful for it many days, the blessings that it comes with, the people that we know, the contacts that we have. It was not a sin for Lot and his family to live in Sodom. But you know what's coming next. The sin began when Sodom started living in them. Do you remember the words of Jesus? Very interesting words of Jesus. John chapter 17 and verse 15. You remember John 17? It's the the true Lord's Prayer, we might say. John 17 and verse 15 in particular, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says to, to the Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. But Jesus, that'd be a lot easier. I mean, if we could just leave this place and we don't have to worry about these things. But he says, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Both the story of Lot's family, the words of Jesus, these things emphasize for us the importance of being pure and clean. In fact, the other passage that I thought of to finish with here, James chapter 1 and verse number 27. You know this one, right? We only quote part of it, though. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God is this. And we know the next part, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble, right? We know that. But what is the rest of it? Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. It's those other things as well, absolutely. We must live in this world, but the world does not have to live in us. And man, that gets harder and harder, it seems, every day. There are so many enticing things. There are so many people. I mean, literally the masses are going to do evil. And it's very hard for us to do what is right and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. But as we think about the lesson this morning, as we think about the Word of God, that is the challenge. That is pure and undefiled religion. And as we conclude this morning, we'll be singing this song of encouragement. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you have had the world in you for a long time, but you're ready to make a commitment. We'll be singing to encourage you. We'll be singing to encourage you that you would make the greatest commitment in all the world, the one that would save your soul. Confessing Christ before an audience such as this, repenting of your sin, and being baptized for the remission of that sin, washed away by the blood of Christ so that the Lord can add you to his church. But that's not the only people we sing to encourage. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a child of God, but you've wandered away. Maybe you're like Lot's family. I I said it at the beginning, but Lot is considered righteous. He's called righteous by the Holy Scriptures. But yet he had some problems and certainly his family did as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian. You've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, but you realize that the world is living in you. And, And sometimes we know it takes just a little bit at a time. Just a little bit at a time is all it takes till we find ourselves separated from God by our sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you have sin of a public nature that you'd like to confess so that your brothers and sisters can pray with you and for you. We're thankful for that opportunity. We oftentimes point out though that maybe there's a third group of people. Maybe you're here this morning and you're simply struggling with this life. Maybe it's not one particular sin you've committed and not in a public fashion, but you would just like the prayers of this church. We are so thankful for this body of people for the fact that Christ left his bride, the church, that we can sing together, that we can encourage one another, that we can pray for one another. We'll, begin, we'll end where we began. We're thankful to our elders. 
and that our elders will come to the front here and be willing to greet you, to talk with you, and to pray with you. If you need to make a change in your life or need the prayers of the church, even now, as we stand together and as we sing.